scripture reading this morning is from Proverbs 14, verses 29 through 31. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. This is the word of God for the people of God. So I've found that one of the ways to know that if, if you're reading your Bible well, um, and, I, and I hope you are, one of the ways to find out if you're reading the Bible well is if it surprises you. Like when you're reading the Bible well, it should catch you off guard. And I find that the people that spend more time in the word are the people that are the more surprised by it. There's almost sometimes like a um, when, when people aren't comfortable yet and they're, and they're new and they're getting their feet wet, there's almost like this sense of, um, I have to act like everything is something that I'm supposed to say amen at the end of. And then the more time I spend in the word, honestly, um, the more regularly I'm like, well, look at that. I think someone just put that in there a minute ago. And especially the person of Jesus says things that are incredibly surprising. And uh, in, in Luke 12, um, he has this interesting thing where he's, uh, he's talking about, um, to these people that he's hoping are going to be his disciples, and he's talking about persecution and how when your life is in danger and someone hauls you in front of court to make you speak before you're potentially executed, don't worry because the Holy Spirit is going to give you what you need in that moment. And then in verse 13, it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Thank you for staying on topic here, buddy. In the middle of talking about persecution and potential death, this guy's like, could you tell my brother to give me my money now? And don't you presume he's in the crowd? Right? That only works if he's like next to him. Now, what do you do? What do you do in this moment, you know, where you're trying to take people maybe like up a notch or, you know, maybe a little deeper, whichever direction you think is the right way to go. And then this guy like interrupts with a question about like a family dispute. And Jesus, God in the flesh, has this remarkable answer to me. It catches me off guard. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I just find it interesting and surprising that God in the flesh, someone brings him a question, I'm assuming like an honest one, and God's response is, don't drag me into your mess, man. Like, I think you could work this out between you. Like, what, what, you know, when he says, who appointed me judge? Well, I think that was you, God. 
Like, I think that's one of the things we even like call you and your word says about you. But in this moment, Jesus is like, I think I'm going to stay out of that. And he, he kind of pivots and he says, be on guard against all kinds of greed for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And there's a couple interesting things going on there. One is this, this um, man's dispute is probably completely legitimate. It's probably completely legitimate. His older brother, uh, if his parents have passed away, should be giving him part of the estate. Um, the, the eldest gets a double portion, um, and then everything else gets kind of divided up among, among the others. And when he interrupts Jesus, uh, Jesus is interesting, seems to maybe know something about this man's heart, who's like calling out his brother in front of a whole crowd of people, which is like the wrong way to do family disputes. Have you noticed that? And Jesus says, watch out and be on guard against all kinds of greed. That word greed, um, it, you could translate several different ways. We could call it coveting or envy. Um, and this, this concept of envy in the first century was actually something that came up a lot. Uh, it was, uh, I, I was digging into this uh, passage and scripture and subject and was surprised. I, I, I have learned, guys, I have learned so much writing this sermon. So um, I didn't know that envy was something that was deeply important and like a, a strong consideration uh, for the people around them. And it's in Scripture a lot. Scripture talks about envy over and over and over again. Just a few that I want to look at. These are all um, from Solomon, um, who was uh, David's son, King David's son, um, around 1000 BC. Uh, the most powerful uh, person in the region, one of the most wealthy people in the world. Um, and it's interesting how he talks about envy in just, just a few places here. Uh, do not envy the violent, you know, because it seems like the violent tend to be able to like gather things to themselves. Do not envy them or choose any of their ways. Or, or Proverbs 23, uh, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Or, or just next chapter 24, do not envy the wicked nor desire their company. At the beginning of Ecclesiastes, the same author um, talks about how envy is what motivates people to like gather wealth to themselves. And he says it's vanity and vanity and it's just, it's just worthless. You know? and, and so envy is something that's on their minds a fair bit. Um, it's also the, the, uh, the last commandment in the Ten Commandments. Um, you know, the, the first several commandments are about our relationship with God. And then they turn to our relationship with others. You know, really groundbreaking stuff like stop killing each other, please. And don't steal from one another. Um, and I just always find it interesting. You know, you only, parents, right? We only give a rule when people are breaking that particular rule. And you have to come up sometimes with rules that you never dreamed that you would have to in your house. Buddy, the crayons don't go in your nose. <laughs> right? And when God is gathering this community together and he's trying to lay some ground rules, he's like, okay, let's start with when you show up and you talk with someone and you leave, they're not dead, all right? We'll call that commandment number, uh, number seven here. It's great. And, um, and the last one says, do not covet. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, or spouse, possessions, animals, and some rabbis, interestingly, have an interesting take on, on commandment number 10. There's, there's, um, because the language is a little tough to translate in places, it's sparse. There's not much language there. It's um, very light on words. 
that maybe the first nine commands uh, about how we love God, and then and I mean the first four commands about how we love God, and then the next um, uh, several about how we love others. W- what if the last one is actually a promise? That if, if we love God and we don't worship any, uh, anybody else but God and we hold him first and, and, then, and then if we honor the Sabbath and if we don't hurt each other and if we don't steal from each other and if we live together well, that the last thing is actually and you will not covet anybody else's life. If you live right, there won't be anything to envy because of how your life is together. But envy was this thing that was um, feared by people, and it was particularly uh, about how people thought about them. Now, um, if we, if we talk about uh, these words that you can parse out, like coveting and jealousy and envy, they can be a little tough to define from each other. Um, for example, jealousy um, or jealous uh, can have a positive um, aspect to it uh, in in the biblical framework. It's like jealous is the same word that we get zealous from. And when it says like our, our, the Lord is a jealous God, is saying that he's zealous. He cares about the things that are his and he'll fight for them. He'll stand up for the things that are his. But mostly we think about it in terms of negative. And if we could maybe tease these out in different from each other, like we could say uh, to covet is to say, I want that ice cream. You go to the St. Louis Zoo this summer, right? And it's, and it's screaming hot and you left your wallet in the car and you're like, why? And this person in front of you has ice cream and you're like, that would make my life complete right now. I want the ice cream. That's to covet. You see something and you want it. And there's, it's more than just wanting. It's the sense that that's going to make me whole. That's going to give it kind of fixate on it. Jealousy, maybe take it up a notch. That's, I don't want you to have that ice cream. I don't have it. You have it. I don't want you to have it. I, I want that thing that you have. And I think that you shouldn't have it. Envy though, is I want you to be mauled by rabid squirrels while you're eating that ice cream. <laughs> Envy isn't, isn't just about me wanting. It's not even about hoping that you get deprived of that thing. It's like I start to have some like personal contention with you. It's, it's something's wrong in my heart and my relationship with you. And in the first century... Um, and actually still today, it's quite popular. That, that disposition towards someone else of envy is called the evil eye. It's called the evil eye. And, and you, know, you know that look that you can get from someone? That look that could just burn you to the ground? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe the, what came up to me in my mind the most is, is the relationship between Jim and Dwight in the office. Like, quite regularly... You're right. I mean, Dwight sitting or any office fans in here? Yes. All right. Right. That like Dwight looking at Jim, just like, you, you, and kind of envying like the normal life that he has while he's all beats bears and Battlestar Galactica over here, you know? And, and there's this like, I, this way of looking at someone that like wants to tear them down. Um, can we just practice the evil eye real quick? Could you turn to your neighbor and give them your best evil eye? Ready, set, go. Some of you are very practiced at this. <clears throat> now, the, the evil eye is a, is a superstition um, that carried a lot of authority and power and a lot of consideration. There was, a, there was this idea that that had like magical power that could put like a curse on me when someone 
looks at me like that. And there's a lot of effort still today, um, you know, kind of loosely uh, superstitious to ward off the evil eye. Um, today in the Middle East, um, you can buy things that look uh, like this. Um, that would help you ward off the evil eye. It's like reflecting it back. Or um, this is the, the more popular one. Um, you know, you, I've seen this on bumper stickers on cars and stuff like that. Um, and it's, uh, it's quite popular. Um, but uh, here, even um, there was a case, check this out, um, a pretty unusual case that, case that happened in Sar- Sardinia, Italy, um, near the end of the uh, 19th century. So this is 1800s, where the evil eye was enlisted to battle a plague of locusts. The mayor hired people who had the evil eye to walk around and cast their fiercest looks at the locusts. When this didn't work, its ineffectuality was blamed on the weakness of the participants. Can you imagine what the interview process was like for this job? All right, buddy, hit me with it. That was pretty good. Let's have them go look at the locusts. All right. And, and, and this is... This is not helpful to the sermon, but I just couldn't not talk about this. This is one of my favorite books about New Testament culture. Um, if you're a Bible nerd, you can uh, check it out. It's called the New, the New Testament World by Melina. And I'm um, talking about warding off the evil eye. Um, one of the, there's, there's like a whole chapter on it, by the way. Um, check this out. <clears throat> one of the ways that they would ward off the evil eye is through manual gestures. such as the digitus infamous, which is performed by extending the middle finger of the fisted hand. Page 124. Yeah, we've made a lot of progress as a society, haven't we? There was this sense that if you envy me, if, if you hate me for having something that is going to affect me, it's going to put a curse on me, it is, going to, it is going to wound me. And Jesus, though, when he addresses, picks up this whole conversation about the evil eye, he talks about it uniquely different than everybody else in his world. Here's Matthew, Matthew 5, 29. Here's just two examples. If your right eye, and make no mistake, he's referring to this whole evil eye conversation, causes you to stumble, gouge it out, and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Or or Matthew 18, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. What's unique to me there is everyone else in his world is concerned about how your envy is going to hurt me. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, that's not how things flow. When we envy, it endangers our own soul. It isn't about what it does to other people so much, it's about what it does to us. And when we look at somebody and we covet their life, when we wish that we had all of those things, it might wound our relationship with them, often does. But it starts with putting my own soul in danger of hell itself. And Jesus says, let's take this seriously. 
You know, the things that I envy about someone's life, if I can be honest, yes, there's the possessions. Because remember, like money is our most tangible form of power. That's what it is. Money is influence. I can use money to get that ice cream that you have in front of me in line. Right, but there's all the things in life that we can envy. And, and, and in their world, envy was not something that we did to someone of a higher social standing than us. Like, I do not envy billionaires because I can't picture myself being one. Right, that's kind of up there. We envy, and in their world, you envied someone who was in your social circle who seemed to be ascending away from you. That that is what stirred up something evil in your heart. It's that they got that opportunity that you didn't. It's that they went on a date with that person that you secretly wanted to. I have envied people's talent. I have, envi- <laughs> I have envied other pastors in their churches. The person that I have struggled with envy the most around this thing in my heart that is wrong is because they are a better man than me. They're just a better man than me. And they're my friend. And sometimes I hate them for it. And what that does in my own heart, it puts me in danger. And Jesus says, let's take this seriously. Let's, let's set that aside Let's throw it out. As he continues in, in Luke 12, when this, this guy busts loose and interrupts his thing, and, and Jesus says, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In 16, and he told them this parable. A certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. Now, I, I want to read this with some emphasis that I actually, I, I heard Ron teach it this way, and I, I thought this was brilliant insight. It yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. In their world, they lived in, in a um, highly communal world, a highly communal world. And it would have piqued their interest. It would have been a bit of, of something on their radar with how many times the person in this parable references themselves because they see their whole world as being about them and their possessions are about them and helping them grow. And, and notice what he's trying to do is flowing out of his insecurity. I, I want to gather more for myself so that I will feel okay. You, you know, everything that I envy about somebody else flows out of my insecurity. It's something I'm insecure around. In fact, I can even learn what I'm insecure around by the envy that comes up in my, in my heart 
towards my brother or my sister or my neighbor. And, and notice that, that it distances this man from his community because everything is about him. Maybe like this brother is being distanced from the person next to him. And I have a hard time naming envy in my life. I don't see it like that until I stop and do some real thinking. It, I am completely blind to the envy in my own life. Um, a, a historian, Greek historian named Plutarch, who was alive just after Jesus, um, said this. Uh, he wrote an essay called On Envy and Hate. So if you're looking for some light reading later, I would recommend Plutarch on Envy and Hate. He says, men deny that they envy as well. And if you show that they do, they allege any number of excuses and say that they are angry with the fellow or fear him or hate him, cloaking and concealing their envy with whatever other name occurs to them for their passion, implying that among the disorders of the soul, envy alone is unmentionable. That, that we will, I will fool myself into thinking, it's not envy. Envy sounds so like weak and petty. If I hate somebody, that puts me in a position of power, right? I can do something towards them. Envy means that I am affected by them. <coughs> it's that time of year. It exposes me for being weak. And maybe we can take some time and say, God, where do I envy people? People in my own social circle that have more than I do in some area of my life, and it's, and it's hurting my soul. And, you know, so much of, of Scripture talks about how to play defense about this. Pluck out your eye and throw it away. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Um, Proverbs is, is full of that. But there are some things that we, talks about that we can do in kind of an offensive way, things that we can do to help our hearts with this envy. Like in, in Proverbs 14, starting in, in verse 29, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. The heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Check this out. Is it is an answer to envy. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. That when I look at the things that I have in my life, maybe something that I can do to reposture my own heart is to make sure that I'm generous is to make sure that I can give. I, I am so lucky. I grew up around generous people. Um, specifically, my grandparents on both sides. One from a well-educated, um, upper-middle-class family. And my dad's side, um, not. You know, dropped out of school at sixth grade, seventh grade, dirt floor poverty, um, and managed to kind of ride the, the growth of Atlanta um, to, to being able to support themselves. And, uh, and I learned from both sides how to be generous, that these, these people, especially my grandparents and whatnot, they would give to people in need. Not, not, not just their money, although their money, 
They gave their time. They gave their intention. They, they poured their lives into the institutions around them that they saw that did good in the world, whether that was the local church or whether that was organizations in town. They, they found ways to care for people in tangible ways. I remember sitting next to my, my grandmother in church, a long wooden pew. Anybody do church in long wooden pews? Yeah, yeah. We're, you couldn't move in those things. They made so much noise. And my, my grandmother, she would, she would hand me a quarter. It was only mine for like seven seconds, you know. But she was teaching me to, to be generous, to hold things loosely, and to give. I, I find that when it comes to generosity in every aspect of my life, what, part of what I need is a bit of a plan. Like that sounds so not spiritual. I need like a plan because I am a thinker. And then when I'm done thinking about something and feeling about something, I feel like I've done it. You know, like I really feel like I unloaded that dishwasher, you know. <laughs> Thought about it. And it, it changes things when I have to like put action and a plan around the things that are good for my soul that I, I have to kind of take charge on like the bus of my own life. In, in Romans 13, interesting, interesting little bit. Um, in verse 11, he says, and do this understanding at the present time. Do, do, do you see the words do this, the, the do part? The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave. That's a do thing. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy or envy or coveting. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. We have desires in our flesh. Um, that Greek word sarx um, is like the desiring eye in us. It, it is, we are going to have desires. I'm going to want that ice cream. I'm going to want that talent. I'm going to want that promotion. I'm going to want that person. I'm going to want that money. I'm going to want the, that house, whatever it is. I'm going to want. But the question is, who gets to tell who where to sit? Does, do my desires tell me where to sit on the bus of my life? Or do I put on Christ and tell my desires where to sit and what we will and won't do? That we can feel all day long. It's okay to have emotions. It's okay to want. It's okay to face temptation. It's okay to see someone have something you don't and to wish you did. That is normal. That's a part of life. I don't know how to escape it except the slow process of having the Holy Spirit renew me a bit at a time. The wanting isn't the challenge. It's when we let it tell us what to do. And I, I, need, I need a plan for that. And so part of, part of our life and our family, just very tangibly, is we give our time we give our time to others. 
We give our things to others. We give our money to others. I, I, I give to the local church because I don't see my stuff for myself to build bigger barns for me on my good days. This is an us thing. We rise and fall together as we follow Jesus together. I want to be a part of that. And then there's, there's just no way around God's heart for the poor. Finding those that, that need, and man, nothing rewires my emotions like getting around people that have more need than I do and being able to be a blessing in that moment. As Jesus continues in, in Luke 12, this is the next thing he says after his parable. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. How much time do we spend worrying about our lives? What you will eat or about your body, what you will wear for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life since you cannot do this very little thing? Why do you worry about the rest? You know, it's okay to feel the fear. It's okay to feel the worry, but that it doesn't tell us what to do and how to live. And Jesus says, I'll take care of you. At, at the end, 32, he says, do not be afraid, little flock. For your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just, just picture just picture a couple of thousand people around Cape Girardeau and Benton who took Jesus seriously about that. Just picture it. Our community has needs. Would it still? Would it? What, it, what if when I recognized the envy in my own heart what if I took that as a chance to experience the grace of God by turning it into a moment to give? When I'm envious of my brother, that I find a way to bless him. When I, when I want to build bigger barns for myself, that I find a way to give to my community, to my church, to my brothers and sisters. What if when I worry, Jesus says, Find the poor and bless them. Envy is almost invisible to us. But I want to find the road to life and life everlasting. And that's going to involve being a generous person like Jesus.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you, would you help us to both see ourselves well, to recognize where our desires tell us what to do, then we can say no. We will be a generous people. Would you help us to, to put action to it, to, to be intentional, to build a plan so that we can know how we can bless others and win, how we can participate in community. And Jesus, for those here that, that worry, I pray that they would hear your tender words, that they are more valuable, more valuable than many birds, and that if you care for the animals, you will care for them too. Help us to trust you and to bless each other with what you've given us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you liked this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out LaCroixChurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.